this summer we're bringing you double Koi gig. I think the amount of high scoring has been a surprise to me because I thought that the teams were closer than what they are, but the powerhouses seem to still be the powerhouses. Subscribe to the OTB Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now, so Ireland, victorious in New Zealand, they join an incredibly exclusive club, it must be said. Maybe the most exclusive club in rugby. We have South Africa in 1937, we have Australia 1986, and we have France 1994, and now Ireland 2022. So uh, Lions in 71, the only other side to manage a series win on Kiwi soil. This is uh, rare and historic, to say the very least. Brian O'Driscoll, you're very welcome. Hey, Joe. Good to be here. It is insane when you realise it's South Africa in 37, Australia in 86, France 94, Ireland 2022, the end. Well, just think about how many tours must have gone through New Zealand. Um, sure enough, we had a lot, an awful lot goes through the noughties and, um, and you know, through the la- last decade. But um, it is an amazing feat. It was a brilliant uh, one off in the second test to have won um, a, t- a test down there, which was huge, but that wasn't enough for this team. Um, they they really sensed, you know, um, that they were there for the taking, and their performance in the third test was nothing short of exquisite. Like it's funny, I was away at the Open over the weekend. I did manage to see the test uh, before I went down to the golf course, and as much as people were interested in talking about about Rory, everyone was was on a high, not just Irish people. Everyone was on a high on about the Irish performance. And it was certainly the first half was the best Irish performance I've ever seen. And and I'll say that, I'll caveat that by saying, I almost think that the New Zealand performance in November was the best performance I'd seen before that. So this team is getting progressively better and continuing with those consistently high levels. Um, and now that you know what this will do to hopefully catapult them forward over the next year, all the messages about you know continued progression and learning and evolution, and, and that's all the important sound bites. But they've got to take heed of what they're saying too. But I think they have a game plan that's capable of doing that. Where previously, I think it was quite formulaic. I think this is now a case of just picking the right option of two or three that you create for yourself at different times throughout the game. So why, I mean, that's a big statement. Why was this the best 40 minutes of rugby you've seen from an Irish team? It, it was very compre- comprehensive. And I, I, and I said, I, was, I, I kind of thought at 20 minutes, God, we're only 5-3 up. How is that? It just didn't feel as though New Zealand um, had been given any access into the game. They kicked the ball away through, um, through being forced to do so. Jeez, I've never seen a New Zealand team putting up a Gary Owen from a line out 30 metres out. And I understand maybe they're trying, they're trying different parts of their game, but it just felt that we rendered them devoid of, of ideas, you know, not in the second half, but relatively early on, um, you know, after 20 minutes, half an hour. And um, they did, did go to their kick game with mixed success. But I think it was the pressure, whatever about what we were doing in attack, and, and that's been largely heralded. I think what we're doing, our organisation and defence, our ability to work with one another um, has has really come on leaps and bounds. I know we talked about it last week, but again, it was so evident with, um, with you know, the personnel in key positions and their 
their setup, trying to get their close forwards in close to the rooks. But even when they were cut out in the wider extremities, there's total comfort there in the system, pressing hard, forcing teams into, into making decisions they don't want to make. Just so much good stuff to take from the defensive side as much as the attack. This is such an unbelievable turnaround the last uh, 12, 18 months in Andy Farrell's tenure. I distinctly yeah, well, remember talking to you early on mm-hmm. and you were amongst others remarking on the fact that there was no obvious attacking plan. You were trying to work out what they were trying to do and not coming up with much. And equally, there was a sense that the good parts of the Schmidt regime, like the breakdown work, that those aspects were slipping. It was like the worst of two worlds. And now here we are. I know it is amazing turnaround. And, and obviously that England game in the Aviva was the real catalyst. Uh, it felt like all the parts seemed to to slip into place there. Um, and then I think they they used the summer tour and the confidence derived from that and then into the November internationals to really kick on. Um, yeah, I, I'll be the first to admit, I, I, I didn't see it coming because I, I was trying to understand what the shape was, what they were trying to do. And, you know, it did take 18 months, but, you know, you got to hold your hands up sometimes and go, fair play to them, stuck at it. They persisted. They put an awful lot of... Um, kind of um, of the focus on their senior player team uh, allowed them to really dictate what they wanted to play. I think they've, they're, they're playing heads up rugby like they said they were going to, but to a different level completely. And um, we thought there was going to be kind of a halfway house from what the Joe Schmidt era was with this heads up rugby. Um, but now I think the scanning and the ability of key personnel being able to scan defensive systems and play heads up is at a level that I'm not sure anyone else is playing currently. So, you know, I yes, you have to be mindful of not getting overly excited. We've been in this sort of territory before, but gosh, you got to enjoy being number one in the world and justified this time. You know, that, that, that scanning and that heads up, maybe it's, it's it, you just planted a seed there, touching my mind, but... Geez, it didn't half feel like New Zealand props were facing people they didn't want to face all that often. It, like, so is that Ireland manipulating things so that we see you yeah. and we're going to work things and we're coming your way? Well, a perfect example of that was um, was the third try, and there's a, there's so much to to kind of pull apart in it. This is the Henshaw try, you know, a few minutes before half time. The setup was, um, you know, rarely do you see Hugo Keenan carrying the ball, but. I was trying to wonder, he kind of got stuck inside shoulder a little bit. Did he just not want to shove launch it? Um, so he carried, but I think he was meant to carry because Robbie Henshaw was clearly going to clear over him immediately. Barrett's the one that makes the tackle. But it's what happens next. It's Doris around the corner, but their willingness and ability to spring back to their feet and get out to position to strike again. It's difficult to do one and three, you know, to get def- as a back to get into your, you know, outside positions having had a big involvement, particularly someone like Hugo Keenan, who's been tackled. But if you then look at the third phase, and it's, it's Barrett who made the tackle, who ordinarily should be the easier of the two to get up into the defensive line. He's late to get around. He runs around the, an arc rather than filling into the defensive line immediately, runs out, is late getting off the line, and ends up going for an intercept because he's in no man's land. And counter that with Henshaw and the rebound of, of, of Keenan, to get outside, hold enough depth to be able to play what the two players in front of them, Sexton first, then Bundy, 
and then and then Henshaw's in and, and scoring. And it could have been if if he was marked up, then if another player came in and defended him, it would have been a try to Keenan. So it's a desire too to get up off the ground and make an effort on that third phase. So a lot of the time teams in the past would have gone one first phase and fourth to get up and have a, as big an impact as, as that with only one phase in between with quick rook ball is a testament to their um, fitness, their, their desire and their willingness to work really hard and, and catch the opposition off guard, which they did. By the way, Barrett's um, attempted intercept. I know he was caught in no man's land, but it was a, it banged a little bit of, you know, I've, I've got this. He's been there before and he's picked them off and you've got to laud people when they're able to, to, um, to read that. But when they get it wrong and, and you know, it's a catastrophe of their team, you got to call that up as well. I thought it was really, really um, sloppy defence from him and a little bit selfish thinking that he could pick it off. And he was trying to get into Johnny's head and be, be careful to do that because I think Johnny, like nobody else at the moment, is able to pick that pass really late and, and, and read shoulders and resh- read shapes and pick the right option. As it... Terribly unfair question, and uh, you're not a disinterested party, having been there in 09. I, I think people are tempted to say this is the biggest achievement in Irish rugby. I, I don't, I couldn't possibly disagree with that. Um, obviously, we won three Grand Slams, um, the first one well before our time. It was a real um, momentous occasion in 09 to get to where we got to, to eventually get to the Holy Grail of a Grand Slam. We picked all victories against South Africa and Australia a bit more regularly throughout the noughties. Um, we left one behind in 07, but but the reality is that that only served as a catalyst for greater achievements. Um, other Another Grand Slam, these continual victories against um, the All Blacks, but ultimately going and winning a series you know, two of three games then in New Zealand, you read out at the start of the show, you know, who the others are. Like, this is a really, really special thing that this group of players have achieved. So I would be, um, I certainly wouldn't be putting up any form of argument to say that this isn't the greatest achievement. But the great thing is that it feels like it's the scope to be the beginning of something, not just, not the end product, but that, this group, if they can continue with this level of progression, will cause every team at the World Cup mm-hmm. hassle. I'm not saying we're going to win it. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to go further, but they're going to continue causing real problems with the caliber of how the individuals and the collective are clicking. Yeah, and like there is such a temptation to say everything's about the World Cup and and even uh, this series win has been greeted with, well, from certain quarters, it doesn't matter unless they do something at the World Cup. I... <laughs> I think that's like willfully ignoring the actual tradition and the history of the game, where there are there are no glorified friendlies. These are test matches. The the fact that only three countries have won in New Zealand speaks to that. This in and of itself is an extraordinary achievement. And I, I don't think it's such that in 18 months' time, if they lose a World Cup quarterfinal, that this should be looked back on and say, well, look, that just proves it was nothing. This is not nothing. And anyone saying that is, I think, I think willfully ignoring the reality of the game. Of course, there would be massive naysayers in that regard. People are sharpening their knives, can't wait for it again, hoping that you know we might get uh, France and at home or get a rejuvenated All Black team and to put us back in our box a little bit. But the reality is, I think you can look at them separately. This will never be taken away from them. You don't fluke two victories down there. Even the World Cup winning team, like the English World Cup winning team in 03, did manage a victory, but not two down there. So. This is significant um, out on its own. 
Um, and I don't want to kind of caveat that by future-proofing disappointment in a World Cup. We were still very expectant of this mm. team to be able to go beyond the quarterfinal, irrespective of the opposition, such as where they are at the moment. But yet they're going to have to play an exceptional game. And even to go on to, to greater things, all of a sudden now, we're not talking. These I, I'd love to be a fly in the wall. They're not talking about a World Cup semi-final. In their heads, they want to win it. And it's it feels very un-Irish to, to do that because we haven't been in a World Cup semi-final. But as we said in the show last week, you know, a losing World Cup semi-final is is an is a disappointment right now. Yeah. And with a view, uh, um, you know, trying to draw the the, the an analysis between which is a greater victory. Now, no doubt, a victory in. New Zealand is greater than a lost World Cup semi-final. Of that, I have no doubt. And it, and it was, you know, it was a lot of interest generated around this. And on the back of what happened last weekend, I'm glad I said what I said because I stand by it. A, a World Cup final would be a greater achievement than a, a series win, but nothing short of that will will outdo this brilliant achievement and feat. Mm. It's funny. I and let people you... let them enjoy it too. Let uh, us totally. all enjoy it. Totally. Let us enjoy yeah. it. I, I agree with that totally. I know, even pe- I was guilty of writing something. People are, in fairness. Here. Yeah, people are sure. really people like South Africans, English, Welsh people. Every nationality out besides Kiwis were thrilled at the weekend. It wasn't that Ireland won; it was the manner in which they won, the way they played, the standards, the quality, and um, the tries. How they they played New Zealand at their own brand, and that's the exceptional um, part of that series victory is. Mm. That, you know, particularly when backs to the wall, you know, 1722, um, then it got to within three points, wasn't it? 24, yeah, was it three. again 24, 27, or you know, um, like you have to show balls to get to to come back from that mm-hmm. and take risks and be brave and go to the corner rather than kicking your goal. That they're not insignificant decisions. So to, to match up and, and deliver them and then subsequently deliver the try that you need from Herring and then keep that scoreboard ticking over. All of that is really, it's, you got to dig deep for that and in your, in your reserves of belief. And this team has that in spades. Mm. Uh, the other very notable aspect of this tour, and we weren't sure in advance what way Andy Farrell was going to play it, is that Farrell has very much prioritised the winning of this series over World Cup preparation. Now, I, I guess the 2-1 win vindicates that. Uh, there's different ways to look at it. Like, I, I did hear people saying at the start of the tour, he needs to be brave and to play the Carberries of the world and to play the lesser lights. In some ways, it's a very brave thing to risk playing your best team and maybe you lose the tour 3-0 and then where are you? You're like, you've got the worst of both worlds. In, in a way, he did quite a brave thing by saying, I'm going to try and win this bloody series because the easy thing would be to play the lesser lights and then you've got to a foolproof excuse I'm building for the World Cup. So I think um, that decision, which was not a popular one, I felt, I, I, my sense was people thought, oh, you've got to play the others. You can't just play the best 15. Uh, that decision now looks, um, well, one, incredibly brave, and it has been vindicated. Yeah, it has been vindicated. Who thought that Johnny was going to start all three test matches down there? No one. Hmm. This was going to be those talk of one, one, one. Remember, the forgotten man Harry Byrne was down on tour as well. All of a sudden, Frawley's the one that's probably emerged a little bit more. Joey came on the third test, and you know, I know he was only on for six or seven minutes, but looked solid and secure. And I, I think he's 
I think he's very um, capable in that role. But I think there's there will no matter what there will be a nervousness and a concern if we are to lose our um, leader and our captain and probably our best player and the focal point of the of the of the team over the course of the next year. But we're going to have to at some point learn how to deal without him because. Um, you know, you just can't, the reality is nothing changes. You can't, because Johnny's managed to, you know, navigate his way through this test series brilliantly. It doesn't mean that at other times, he's not going to, he's going to be targeted all the more now. Mm. Teams realize how important he is to this team all the more. So he's going to be more targeted. And so we're going to have to give game time over the course of November um, and at Six Nations to Joey or somebody else. Like, you just can't continue to giving Johnny time and and not give Joey some, you know, proper 60, 70, 80-minute games to allow him, you know, high-octane internationals as well, not the USA, not the lesser games. Um, because you, you wouldn't be left with egg on your face if you just put all your egg into eggs into one basket. And that's not just Ireland. I think other countries have to look likewise you know England Marcus Smith if they give him every test match from now to the World Cup how that's different for them I suppose because Farrell goes in there and Ford's in there but someone else that has a a pretty inexperienced bench player I think they've got to weigh up their their options and but yes you're allowed look and he's able to retrospectively look at those decisions as really great ones and maybe that gives him scope in this coming Six Nations to try people out a little bit more now that he's got the work in the bank. That was the follow-up question. There is a degree of, okay, you've gone after this tour and it's worked out beautifully, but now Six Nations, you really can't afford to do the same thing because, like, where are we? Like, Carberry, Harry Byrne, once again, his injury profile's worrying, you would have to say. And now Frawley's kind of emerged to put his hand up. Like, he needs, from Farrell, that is, he needs to kind of figure out that pecking order and to invest in the Six Nations because there are no other opportunities now. All right, but here's a here's a line of thought, you know, and at the risk of other countries saying, God, those Irish have really lost their own themselves and they're arrogant. We've England and France at home, um, you know, a somewhat resurgent Wales, Scotland, not sure about Italy, you know, maybe on the up, but is that potential for a Grand Slam year? Will jo- Will Johnny Sexton be saying, Do you know what? Everything is the focus of World Cup. He'll be thinking, uh, Grand Slam captain, he will. I know. I know his mentality, and he'll want to play. And also, not give an opportunity because he'll back himself to play five weeks on the bounce. You know, in game, you know, this second and and third uh, group stage matches. If they get beyond the quarter final, to then play semi final final. That's a nice headache to have when you get to that point. But it's very hard when 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 you you get to each stage. You know it's hard not to get greedy and go, well, we could still go and win that. We could win that, win that, win that. It's very hard to go, no, let's let's cut our cloth a little bit and not play the strongest team. But it is something that they're going to need to do. Mm. Is it a ridiculous thing to say when we get to the World Cup, Sexton's not going to play in the group stages? I I, I don't see how he can't play in um, in the last two games. I, like, I, I, I think... Obviously, the way it falls, obviously, we get South Africa second last, depending on what, what happens there. Is there scope potentially for with a South Africa victory against South Africa in a perfect world 
um, him not playing the following week because there's pressure up. Because who do you want in the in the quarterfinal? France and New Zealand right now. It's mad that we're having that conversation. You know, ten years ago, like you'd bitten your hand off for France. Where well, that's not the case right now, particularly with France at home and how good they have shown themselves to be and how much they're improving. So, um, yeah, I I think we're um, you know we're not sure where ideally where we want to be but I think as things evolve I don't think he has to pick the Scotland team before the South Africa game yeah. you know, you well, get a great victory against South Africa maybe you can play somebody else and and run a small bit of a risk with the view that you're definitely in a quarter final and that you're going to have your um you know your talisman to to kind of guide you through because look at look at other games when he hasn't been right you know in 2015 he didn't play in that game and and God, could we have done against him against Argentina? Yeah. So it is about getting him in that quarterfinal, but we got to get there first. So loose South Africa, he's going to play against Scotland. I'm almost saying you're not playing. That's, South Africa is the one game you're not playing. Like no, of all the, no, of no. All the games, you're to, not no. going near. There, but like that, to where is he going to get injured? Where is he going to get injured? You could get injured in any game. I know, you know? you could get injured against um, Spain. You know. I know, but um, you know, you know the difference here. You know what I'm saying. I know. Yeah, I know. But that's the game that he just has to throw the pass half a second earlier. You know, because they're flying up anyway, and just let the speed of the ball and man dictate. So there's ways of modifying things, but um, but he will get targeted in that game, no doubt. Because they're, you know, they're all of a sudden for the first time, I think. You know, other countries feel as though we genuinely are a threat um, at Rugby World Cup at this point. Yeah. Um. By the by, the brand. Um. But yet they'll be also kind of a bit sneery the fact that we've never done it before and that there'll be a lot of pressure on us. So, um. I think yeah. I think I think the way the games are falling, Johnny does have to play against South Africa, and then you take a viewpoint on on the following game depending on that result. Okay. And and just the last one on this whole bloody topic, because, I mean, it's never ending. To what extent, at the end of this tour now, has Frawley closed the gap on Carberry, in your mind? Yeah, I, I, it'll be really interesting to see whether, you know, obviously, Johnny's not going to play an awful lot for Leinster this year. You know, he'll play some big European Cup games, but he'll play hardly any um, URC games. So, Frawley, you would imagine, even with Ross Byrne and with Harry Byrne in there, you, you'd imagine that Frawley's going to get a little bit more game time um yeah at 10 certainly if that is the wish list of of the national team that that I'm sure um Stuart Lancaster and and Leo will listen to it and they will try and accommodate where possible and if that's where he sees his future well I you know I think he's got to try and push that hard push that narrative hard with the, his Leinster coaching ticket and say that he'll fight for a starting 10 berth because I think he right now what he's shown over the course of the last year he's a he's a better option there. We haven't seen Harry and and his injury um, issues are uh, have really thrown him down the pecking way down the pecking order from a guy that showed so you know had such high prospects eighteen months ago now is barely in the conversation just because he can't get himself on the pitch. Um, so Frawley for me is that is the guy third at the moment behind Joey Carberry because Joey's done nothing wrong albeit nothing major wrong albeit a bit low in confidence but he needs to go back get back to Munster new coaching ticket um, you're the main man this is how we're going to play and hopefully play his way into a little bit of form and then get a bit more game time come November mm. uh, Peter Manny was talking after the game at the weekend 
and he was remembering 2012 you were there he was there and he was just drawing the comparison and how much it's all changed from a, an emotional point of view he said 2012 it was so much still about emotion whereas now it's so process oriented and yeah you know the high of that win in test two traditionally even if they had come close or, or you know as you guys did or or won Traditionally, Irish team would be wiped seven days later. Just they would have emptied the mm. tank, and you even see after the hacker, they get in a circle and do some mindfulness breathing. So it is extraordinary in a decade how much that approach has changed. Yeah, it has. It this, this is the game is evolving significantly, you know, and with each four year cycle brings a, a massively new new iteration and. You know, professionalism certainly since I have finished has come on leaps and bounds. Um, you know, you look at the condition of the players alone, um, but um, I, I think you know, huge credit to the fitness coaches as well. Um, they they really seem to have players and the medical staff. They, they're coming back from um, serious injuries quicker. Um, they're obviously getting better surgeries um, they're better rehab and but their fitness and their ability to peak on Saturdays is really impressive right at the moment I'm always mindful in all conversations that it's it's very it can be transient it can it can change and and you know through injury or lack of form so you can only talk in the now but they do look as though they're you know all of a sudden physically able to compete with everyone now the big question marks around how they compete physically with South Africa when they come to town in November I think that'll be a real litmus test but that's what really stood out for me in New Zealand was their ability to 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 play with them physically and we're talking about some of the best athletes already Sevilla obviously was a real standout performer for there but you know Ritalik and Whitelock Mm. um you know Guys like Sam Kane, you know, before maybe before recent years would have been, you know, big physical, ferocious players. Whereas, you know, Doris and um, Peter O'Mahony, um, our front row, all like at, at least parity with the opposition and, and won the collision zone an awful lot. Yeah. Were you surprised at the quality from New Zealand this tour? A bit, yeah, a bit. I, but I think if you look, particularly if you look, all right, the second row, they're absolutely in the winters of their career. You know, they're, um, you know, they were involved. I don't know if Whitelock was he involved in um, in 2011. Certainly came on board around 2012. He's going a decade in the row, a lot of miles on the clock. Mm-hmm. Retallick, you know, something similar. Um, and and the, the reality is, it it just takes its toll physically on you. All those all those test caps, both of them over a hundred. Um, you just can't play with that same energy and kind of um, vitality that you do as a as a youth, as a useful player. You know, you might have the same enthusiasm, but the body just doesn't respond to the message being sent from up top. Um, and it feels as though um, that, that quality has probably slipped a little bit. Um, I think as well, the front row, you think about the Franks brothers, you think about Tony Woodcock, mm-hmm. the, those caliber of players, any of the props, kind of real standout performers for, mm-hmm. for New Zealand, uh, Cody Taylor, good in part, staying cold, again, another one in the winter of his career. So I don't know, I, I just don't think that there's the ferociousness of their their front five like there used to be. Um and and then you know right across the, the backs of they if you look at the the best New Zealand teams, you know four or five of those positions picked themselves before you even had to you know think about it. Yeah. Right now, Havili's in a in and out of twelve, probably in a bit more when he's fit. Um, 
Moanga had a brilliant um, Super Rugby campaign, but he's on the bench. Barrett's not at his best. Smith kind of coming into the winter of his career. All of these factors on top of maybe not playing with massive confidence in the black jersey, struggling a bit with what they're trying to do structurally. I think it was the first time I saw a New Zealand team struggling for ideas. So I think there's a, there's multiple factors. Ireland putting loads of pressure on them, but also I don't think this New Zealand team is picking itself yet, which the great New Zealand teams before you blink, you know, eight of them on the side. Whereas right now, I don't think you could guarantee eight starters, um, you know, off the top of your head. Sevilla and 14 others, maybe. Yeah. So New Zealand rugby have announced a review. And uh, for instance, I saw John Kerwin come out and he said, we had a review in November. He said, we did a review six months ago. Why are we doing another review? What are we reviewing? Uh, So six months on, it's another review. Apparently six months ago, Foster reviewed very well his assistance less so, and and that probably explains Joe Schmidt's imminent arrival. That's so interesting you say the thinking maybe has gone into decline. Fair enough, you mightn't always produce the same generation of players, I suppose, but Mm. they were always, or they they probably took over from the Australians, but for, I don't know, the last 20, 30 years, they have felt like the thought leaders in the game. So that's really significant that they've gone back on that front. Yeah, and you're right, it is cyclical. And, and, And there are, even the great nations like New Zealand can, you know, peak and slightly trough with the player quality coming through. And, um, but I, I was wondering, and, and my kind of train of thought was, you know, if you are looking at them World Cup quarterfinalists, um, you know, if if we lost the third ticket, our third test match, it obviously would have been massively disappointing, but it would have been the worst thing in the world because that coaching ticket was going to change. And this all-black team looks as though it's struggling. It really does. And you... Whereas knowing someone like Joe Schmidt or, or hearing what um, Scott Robertson is like and that attention to detail, would they not be the perfect fit to come in and do something in a short period of time? Particularly Joe, I know him a lot more. Like he is made for this situation, this, this circumstance where their passing quality has been really poor. They're you know, unforced errors, so un, un- New Zealand-like. Yeah. Um, whereas I think all of those aspects, sharpen all that up, body contact, accuracy at the rook, he would get all of that side right. And then the knock-on effect to them playing their free-flowing game happens organically. So I'm, I, it's not really a New Zealand thing to kind of cut people to go, right, panic stations, get someone else in. So I can understand that they're trying to work with Ian Foster, but, you know, who knows in a year's 15 months time, will it be to their detriment that they haven't, you know, they haven't been more um, brutal with their, with their decision-making and bring in someone that definitely would fix things in kind of a, in a very short space of time. And that's the sense that I get from either of those two guys, but particularly mm. with Joe. Uh, some of the standard Irish performers we should touch on. Ty bloody burn. Yeah. Oh my God. That was a weird yeah. 15 minutes. That was superhuman. Yeah, it was superhuman. Like we all know every time, like his ability to read the rook and identify and not get himself in as an assist tackler, but yet be the first to latch on. And and I think teams all over the world now will be paying, you know, credence to the fact that, you know, if he's the first guy, if he wins the ball, if he wins the shoulder, you're not moving him. It it's his ability to get down and not just lock onto the ball, because referees now need you to steal the ball, but he he steals it in no time. So his ability to, to get into that position and then turn it over really quickly before 
the, the player fighting on the ground is aware that they've lost it is, is, is a real point of difference. Um, so that, his intercept, the timing on the counter rook was outstanding. He was, you know, very good line out steals. He, he was immense. He really was. Best I've, I've ever seen him play for Ireland. And he's been very, he's been very consistent. I always would have worried about him as a, you know, from a you know, physicality point of view. He runs really clever lines and he uses good footwork. And I think he uses his strengths um, as best possible. But sometimes it's just hard to, to, to deal with that huge physicality that he doesn't really possess. But he was really outstanding and, and didn't in any shape or form on that side of things look out of place against, you know, what are meant to be the ferocious, you know, one of the most ferocious type fives. Not bad for a Leinster reject in his mid twenties, you know. It's kind of isn't it it's just? Am- it's, it's isn't amazing. It just yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a real find that he's gone the circuitous route to come back to be a mainstay of of um of this Irish team. And now, you, oh, sometimes you just need those performances. Like there was question marks around: is it Henderson starts? Is it him? Like that's blown that out the water. Like there's no, you know, he's got he's got three bad games in him now before he gets the Shepherd's Crook. You know, because yeah. that was such an excellent performance, and coaches do look to big moments. Big when when players really need to stand up and deliver, they 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 go back to the well and go, well, who does it? Who does it? Mm. And if he looks between what's happened, Henderson been very good, but nothing on that level of performance, and okay. and so that partnership now is uh, is is the two boys, Ryan and and Ty Byrne, for you know for a while to look. I wonder how many bad games were you led before you got the Sherwood's Crook? 50, 100? Standards 200. were not standards <laughs> were not quite as high back then, you know. Well, you didn't have um, with, with 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 the with respect to the quality of players that I was played with over my 15 years, I think the the difference between first, second and third in all positions now, not all positions in most positions has been significantly reduced. Mm-hmm. So, you can't afford you, you maybe you'll be allowed uh, afforded one bad game, two bad games, and you're going to be gone, and someone else is going to be given their opportunity, and and that's why guys like Johnny don't want to give up, you know, the chance to some to anyone, even Joey or anyone, because you know, you're if you're out of possession, it's an opportunity for someone else. Mm. In fairness to you, you didn't have many bad games. Uh, James that's Ryan, thanks, that's th- thanks for coming delayed on that. <laughs> now, uh, listen, if if genuinely like talking about, yeah. Bad performances like that, that um, New Zealand 2012, it, I must one of the worst games I ever played for Ireland in the third test. We got thumped. Everyone played terribly, but I was awful. I read nothing on it. I just closed the season and and pretended it didn't happen and then tried to start afresh. But but if there was something else the following week, you know, there would have been serious words had around standards. Um, so it's a different environment. There just yeah. there just wasn't the, the same level of quality there is now you know, coming through to displace anyone that, that's a permanent fixture. James Ryan has generally kept his powder uh, pretty dry over the last couple of years. He did go on Instagram and, and put up a picture of the team celebrating and he referenced it's been a tough couple of seasons. Um, right. And you suspect he's referring to concussions, but also I suppose the scrutiny around his form and there's been a huge amount of scrutiny around his form. I generally said, or reading different things, generally said he had his best game of the series on um, Saturday, just gone. And Johnny Sexton made a point of saying, you referenced earlier when New Zealand got back to within three, Sexton made a point of saying it was Ryan who dictated they kick for the corner when they got that try. 
mm-hmm. and he was saying it was great leadership and great to see it. And you kind of think of Leinster maybe um, kicking for the posts in the La Rochelle final. And, and you, you think these things um, almost rebound off each other from week to week at times. But regardless, James Ryan, I suppose to what could you explain to us his form dipped right and everybody said he's not the same player specifically why was he not the same player and to what extent is he on the road back I, I think a bit of the problem was that he started as a professional and he won his first 18 or 19 games yeah. right um, won everything that season it was a grand slam year Leinster won Europe um, so it was a, it was a fairy tale start and then, you know, there is a little bit of second or third season syndrome where people work you out a little bit more. It's not as easy. The, the yards are harder to come by. Um, and then, you know, disappointments of not getting picked on the Lions tour. He wasn't Gats's sort of player. Um, he wasn't physically big enough. So, you know, he's definitely a, a, a thinking man's second row because, you know, he doesn't have the size of a Mostard or an Etzebet, but... But yet he has this incredible work rate, a real cleverness of where to be at the right time. Um, very good defensively. Um, just doing the subtle stuff really well. A, a real workhorse. Um, I, I'm sure that, you know, you're going to, over the course of your career, have highs and lows and, and you're going to be able to really excel. It's very hard to be consistently brilliant for 10 or 12 years in a position like that. Um, you're going to have little niggles. You're going to have issues that hold you back, uh, including the concussions yeah. that he's had. So um, I, I think he's a, I think he's been punished in some ways by the very, the lofty standards that he set for himself and just wasn't able to kind of get back to that level until recently. So I think everyone would be delighted to, to see him back playing the rugby that he is playing, considering what because of episodes he's had, but also the form that he's shown and and delivering against, again, that really physical hard edge side, uh, particularly those second rows with the reputations that they have. I, I saw today that Warren Gatland, if he was picking a Lions uh, test team or Lions 23, that he picked uh, James Ryan in the second row. Uh, and Maro Toji's on the bench, Tyburn and, and James Ryan. So um, it, it just shows that he's, um, you know, he's... Maybe for, but for the quiet years that he's had, he's back with with a real bang now. And, and now players like everybody else need those things to drive them on to continued high standards. Did Gatlin pick Sexton in this review team, by the way? He did, yeah. He did, yeah. He made a mess of that tour. Um, I think if you look, if you look at, you know, leaving Johnny out, you know, like to not pick him because he was worried about his ability to play multiple games, you know, I, maybe you read too many of Jerry's article, Jerry's article, you know, saying, talking about that, you know, not being able to play in three consecutive games. And sometimes, you know, Johnny would have been taken out of the ability to play three consecutive games. So, uh, I don't know. I, he did make a, a little bit of a hames of it because I don't think he got one of the best players in Europe playing in it, mm-hmm. but also, you know, times change too. You know, you're, you know, was James playing his best rugby back then? No, no he no, wasn't. He wasn't. He right? wasn't. Was um, James in Gibson Park in the in the conversation then? No, he wasn't. So it's like, you know, it's like someone that you invite to your wedding in five years' time, would you invite the same people? Not a chance. So it's to on, do with fr- friendships. Friendships are trans, are, can sometimes be transient, as is form in a rugby field. 
had this conversation with my wife. We we laugh occasionally about some of the people that are at our wedding. I don't think I've seen them for the last twelve years. <laughs> um, just when you mentioned there, so Ryan, his attributes are not size, and then Ty Byrne attributes not necessarily size, but many attributes uh, nonetheless. So will, will South Africa and France still in their private moments say, yeah, look, they're they're good players, but actually we really fancy that second row. Like, can, can Byrne and Ryan take on South Africa and France, for instance, in a World Cup and, and us feel good about it? That will be a target area. Of course it will because of, you know, the, the size differential. And, and Leinster's Achilles heel and Ireland's Achilles heel over the last four or five years when they have come undone has been the on, in physicality. But that's, that's the game over. That's like, I mean, everybody, the game is won and lost on physicality. So, when it's your when it's a real strength of you as a team, like Japan aren't going to come over and go, let's try and really that second row that feels we'll get them there, you know. So that's why France, South Africa, uh, England will always look at trying to target that type of game against us. Other sides will play fast and frenetic and feel they've got higher skill levels. Um, so yeah, you you can be sure that when the bigger sides do come on, they go right. If we can really bring our physicality to as close to 100% as possible, these guys can't live with us through sheer mass and size. And, um, and you know, there's an argument to be said that that we haven't been able to do it in the past on occasions. Yeah. In some ways, that's what, like, an amazing achievement and, and it bodes well for the World Cup. And yet I think what will stop people getting too far ahead of themselves is, one, we've got two or three players that just can't get injured. And then two, there's still the size issue. So it's it's we we emerge from this tour with those two. Um, weird, that's that not going away, that. Joe. Yeah, yeah, that's not going away. I think you know we can't lose our our loose head prop. You know, for years it was tight head prop. Now we can't lose our loose head. He's one of our most important players. Um, the emergence of Dan Sheehan, huge, but even Rob Herring coming on with that big moment. What will that do for his yeah. confidence? And as the third choice, like all of a sudden, is Dan Sheehan starting ahead of Kelleher? So lovely headaches to be had, but. Um, yeah, we can't we can't afford to lose our best players. We can't afford to lose Johnny. We can't afford to lose Robbie Henshaw. Um, and I would say, you know, uh, Porter. Those three feel huge. I know we've got Gary and and Bundy that could fit in, but I think all of them, you know, look at the performance from Robbie Henshaw last season. Um, again, massive performance. I think he's a huge, huge player for this team. He's the he's. It's him plus one. That's right. the conversation. Because Bundy played great at the weekend too. Yeah. I think I've always been a Gary and, and and Robbie fan, you know, because of the balance of what the two of them looked like beside one another. I thought Bundy was brilliant. He really was. He carried with such intent, ran great lines, didn't overplay his hands, subtlety where needed. Um, defensively, you know, the usual warrior self. But I, I it, it's still... Robbie plus Gary or Bundy. Um, and um, it's it's very fortunate that we have three centres playing as well as the three of them are. Yeah, rarely all three fit, I suppose, is the thing. Yeah, I, I, I did think of Henshaw during this tour. I was like, God, you, you can take his 8.5 to 9 out of 10 performances for granted at this stage. Yeah, you do. And um, and yeah, he doesn't. He, he's just got this massive engine. It's like nonstop low low error it's funny when the camera goes to him when you can tell certain guys when when he makes the odd error he really beats himself up about it because it's it's a bit of a collector's item he's 
he's just Mr. Consistent for the team on both sides of the ball. And even, you know, Will Jordan, when, um, when he took on Johnny for his try, like Henshaw was tracking him, tracking him, tracking him. And, you know, he was doing his level best to keep up with him. He just had too much of a, of a head start on him. So it's just moments like that tell you an awful lot, never giving up on anything. And he's shown it for consistently for, for a number of years. And he's, he, he, for me, is a real um, kind of... Uh, uh, He's a leader in 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 not what he says, but mm. he's he's really unheralded mm. as a, a key component to this team, like a really key component yeah. to this team. Um, because I don't think from memory, you know, we've never gone quite as well without him. Yeah. Uh, last one. Anyone else that you want to mention? I know I know you could literally mention everyone. You could, you, you could. Mac Mac Hansen thought he'd do a great game, right. got really busy. Um, James Lowe as well. You could you genuinely you could mention any. We haven't even touched on the back row, which seemed wrong with Doris and Van der Fleer. But you know, you're, you're right. You could go through absolutely everyone. But I just I was really impressed with Mac Hansen. We were wondering, you know, he was brilliant for Connacht and and he deserved his first cap. And I thought he was exceptional against Wales in his first cap, not overplaying his hand. But again. Little 50-50s, but contests in the air, batting the ball back when it looked as though it's it's a lost cause. Um, you know, good kick ahead, kicks ahead, keeping the ball in play, putting pressure on. Just the small, simple stuff. No mm. real great frills. Because sometimes wingers have that striker's mentality that they've got to score tries. He's happy to do all the groundwork as well. If he gets on, you know, the, the, oh, the ball to James Lowe that stuck Will Jordan for that pass. Like that was a, if Johnny had thrown that, we'd be waxing mm. lyrically. Like Will Jordan was completely done by it. And that was right on the advantage line. Um, so those moments are huge to the overall context of, of victories. And he had lots of those little wins, just playing off Gibson Park as well, getting advantage line a yard or two when we're on the back foot or he just need, need, he knows the scrum half needs a little bit of help because he's running down a, a blind alley. Really, really clever stuff. So, um, yeah, very impressed with his performance last weekend too. Okay, very good. Our rugby coverage and off the ball. Thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Brian, that was great. Thank you so much. Nice one. Cheers, Joe. Talk to you. Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.